Welcome to our new series, God Unboxed. To kick off this series, we need to break into this antique safe. This safe has been sitting in a dark, hidden closet of the basement of our Wheaton campus for, I don't know, 60 years? It was part of the original building that the Wheaton Evangelical Free Church built decades ago. We've talked with members of the congregation who have been here for a long time, but nobody can remember what's in the safe. Obviously, it's precious. If it wasn't a treasure, you wouldn't need such a massive safe to guard it and protect it. We need to find out. Unfortunately, no one can remember the combination. And as a result, the only way in is to hire a locksmith. We have searched and found a man who knows how to break into a safe. It's time to discover the treasure within. It turns out that the safe is filled with envelopes, <laughs> giving envelopes, very old, used, giving envelopes, and boxes of giving reports. Now, mind you, I am exceedingly grateful for the generosity, the historic generosity to the cause of Christ in our church. That said, I'm a little disappointed in the contents of the safe. You know, I was expecting gold or diamonds, you know, treasure of some sort, not paper. Well, we may be a little disappointed in the contents of this safe, but I'm here to tell you that we will not be disappointed with the box that we are here to study. This series, God Unboxed, is a study of the Ark of the Covenant created by the instructions of God according to the design of God to reveal the heart of God. As we go on an adventure following all the biblical stories surrounding the Ark of the Covenant, we are about to learn about our God at a level that we've never seen before. And when you discover the character of God, it changes your life. Capone's vault. Pretty exciting, huh? Call me Geraldo. No, actually, don't call me Geraldo. But. You know, I will tell you, five years ago, I was very near the real Ark of the Covenant. Maybe I was. Maybe I wasn't. Here, here's how it went. I was in Jerusalem with my wife, and we went on an archaeological tour of a subterranean tunnel in Jerusalem. They, the archaeologists have actually dug tunnels under the city. And on this particular tour, we're in one of those tunnels, and we came to a spot where one of the tunnels that had gone off was blocked up with bricks. And the guide paused, and he said, I got to tell you that this blocked up tunnel 
was the pursuit of the Ark of the Covenant. And I was all ears at that point. I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, one of the leading theories of where the Ark of the Covenant is today is that it's buried underneath the Temple Mount. In Jerusalem, we know where the temple was, where that inner room and the Ark itself was. And he explained that, you know, in those ancient days, enemy nations would come and they'd destroy a city and steal all of its gold, valuable treasure. And so a plan had to be in place for what would happen to the ark in the occasion of an invasion. And it would make sense to have some secret chamber beneath the temple where quickly it could be swept away and hidden so that an invading country wouldn't steal it. And sure enough, uh, the ark is strangely absent from any descriptions in the scriptures after the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem. And that theory has never been able to be tested. No one has ever done archaeological excavations on the Temple Mount. And the reason is, is that the Muslims, the Islamic clerics, have control of the Temple Mount, dating back to 600 A.D. for 1,400 years. They've had mastery over that terrain, and so no one has ever dug there. That is, until back in 1981 at this tunnel. The guy who was in charge of it was actually a high-ranking Israelite official. He was a rabbi by the name of Shlomo Gorin. What a name. Name your son Shlomo, would you? Shlomo Gorin was a high-ranking official, but he knew he'd never have government sanction for this project, so they embarked on it illegally. Uh, uh, you know, secretly. He only entrusted 10 of his most trusted compadres to this project. And every night, they had to do this under the cover of night, every night they'd remove a Torah chest that covered the hole where they were digging from this tunnel. And they would go a little bit further, remove a little bit of dirt. For over a year and a half, they dug their way under the Temple Mount. And they were almost there, almost to the spot where they might have uncovered the Ark of the Covenant when some of the Muslim leaders in the Temple Mount above heard the digging down below late at night, went ballistic and violence ensued as this big fight erupted. The Israeli government rushed in and when they discovered this tunnel and saw the potential of uh, relational discord that it could bring about, they, they walled it up. They blocked it up with the bricks, and they said, never will we do that. (laughs) And as the guide described to me, he's like, right behind this brick wall, not far could be the Ark of the... I could see he was wanting to take the brick wall down. And had he sought to recruit my labor, I would have very quickly joined, because I love the Ark of the Covenant. I love archaeology. Biblical archaeology has all the best stuff in life. It has travel and history and adventure and God. And the Ark of the Covenant is arguably, no, not even arguably, I believe it for sure, it is the most precious artifact in the world because it's the only object, only object in the history of the world that God used to display his presence and his character. And so we're going to study it together. Seven weeks. It's a big, can you handle a seven-week series? I'm sure you can. And we are going to grow so much in our understanding of God, and our lives will be transformed by that knowledge. And we're going to start in the book of Exodus, 
If you didn't bring a Bible, can I encourage you to grab one in the seat back in front of you? You'll find our passage on page 80, Exodus 25, starting in verse 9. This is where God commanded the creation of the Ark of the Covenant. Here we go. Exodus 25, 9. God speaking to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. Make this tabernacle. And a tabernacle is a portable temple, a sanctuary of worship. God says, make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. God designed the tabernacle and the furnishings. Our God, can I just say for a moment, our God's creative, artistic. Just look at the created world that he made and the beauty in that design. Or look at the tabernacle and the furnishings because we see the passion for aesthetic beauty that God demonstrates in his designs. I read on. He says, have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, a cubit and a half high, overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out. And then God goes on to describe that the molding is gold and that the rings on the four corners are to be made of gold and poles that are made of acacia wood and layered with gold and a cover, a very special cover of solid gold called the mercy seat or the atonement cover. With cherubim, God describes these angelic statues with their wings stretched in worship of God. God lays it out. You want to know how big a two and a half cubits are? There you go. This ark before you is designed precisely according to the instructions given in the Word of God. And this one, this rendering of it, comes from a certain movie. Anybody recognize it? Oh, what a classic, huh? Maybe it's where I fell in love with the uh, Ark of the Covenant. That would be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Have you seen it? Oh, I hope so. You know, we, we need to watch a little clip of it again, I think. It'd be just right, so...
teaser makes you want to get it, doesn't it? Maybe we should make an assignment for this series that we all must watch Raiders of the Lost Ark at some point, huh? Uh, that'd be fun. Well, uh, Steven Spielberg, the director of that movie, being a good Jew, he said, hey, the prop department, you got to follow the biblical instructions. And so he did. And the biblical distru- instructions found in Exodus 25 end with verse 22, a really interesting verse. I'd like to read it to you. It says there, God speaking, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. That is strange. God says they're above the cover. This spot right here. Above the cover, between the cherubim. Right there, God says, I will meet with you. And it's true. God manifested, miraculously manifested his presence in a ball of smoke and fire right above the ark. At one point it says that Moses would come in and that he'd hear God speak to him from between the cherubim. Folks, God manifested himself right here. In fact, this cover, one of the names, I think I mentioned this already, is called the mercy seat. And the reason it's called the seat is because the Ark of the Covenant, though it's a box, it's also a chair or the seat of God, really. What God said, in a sense, was, I instruct you to create an empty chair, and I will be on that chair. And now this is unexpected, shocking. It's not unexpected that God create or ask for the creation of a sanctuary or a temple, the tabernacle. Many religions in that area, the Canaanites, the Egyptians, they all had a temple to their God. They all had an inner room, like this one had the Holy of Holies. They all had a sculpture in that inner room, but their sculpture was not of a chair. Without exception, their sculpture was of their God. There would be a sculpture of their deity. What do we call those sculptures? Idols. That's right. And God forbid the creation of a graven image of him. The second of the Ten Commandments, God says, you shall not make any carving of me. Now, instead of a carving of me, why don't you put an empty chair and I will be there? Why, why was God so adamant on this point, no carving of him? And the reason is this. God did not want anybody to have an incomplete, a faulty understanding of his nature. And he thought, any artist, no matter how good they are, they cannot sculpt me in a way that's going to give the people a healthy perception of what I'm like. Every sculpture, no matter how beautiful, will fall short as far as a representation of me. And God was really, God is really concerned about what we think about him. And God said, I know that all the other religions have got their statue of God. Well, they're all wrong. I'm not like that. I am beyond your wildest dreams. You can't even imagine how incredible I am. So don't try to sculpt me because it'll be an insult compared to who I really am. 
Folks, this notion of what God is like and what our, we perceive him to be like is so important to God, and it should be so important to us. I would go so far as to say your perception of God changes everything. Your understanding of God is the first domino to fall in a chain reaction that leads to the quality or lack thereof in your life. I was reminded of this Friday. I was watching TV, which I never do, you know, but just occasionally. And uh, I was watching ESPN and an NFL special where they were talking about Arian Foster, the running back, who recently came out saying that he's an atheist, doesn't believe in God at all. And that's big news for the NFL because the NFL is a very strong Christian contingent there. And so someone saying, I don't believe in God is interesting. And Arian Foster was saying he was raised a Muslim and he rejected the Islamic God and now he's surrounded by Christians and he's confused. And so he just said, forget it. I'm just going to give up on the notion of God altogether. Now on the show, there was an expert who defended Arian Foster's position and said, nobody should be expected to believe in some tyrant in the sky some egotistical monarch who's ordering around his little minions to his liking. And the way he described God, I found my heart breaking. I'm like, buddy, God's not like that. I would not worship a God if he were like that. And I just long for this expert and for Arian to catch a glimpse of the, of the beauty of the character of God. And then I felt God say, Jeff, just a reminder, you only know me in part. Jeff, you know this much of my glory, and I am so beyond what you imagine me to be. And the more I grow and learn about God, the more mesmerized I am by how amazing he is. And the more I fall in love with him, and the more I fall in love with him, the more I live with passion in response to that love. And so, folks, we all, need desperately to grow our understanding of the wonder of God, it will change our lives. And what we're going to do in this first week is we're going to look at this original description of some of the physical attributes of the ark and ask the question, what do they say about the nature of God? And I have a list of uh, adjectives and uh, attributes of God that are going to arise from our study And the first, I'd like to point to this phrase, all my commands. God said, I'm going to sit here on this ark and I'm going to speak. And here's what I'm going to speak. I'm going to give you commands. And you say, it kind of sounds like that expert. You know, this God who's this tyrant ordering around his minions. Well, the guy's right in some regard. God does give commands. He's... He's got authority, but you need to know that the authority of God, the rule of God, is benevolent to its core. God has your best interest, my best interest in mind, and his authority in our lives is intending to create our lives into a thing of beauty. Now, what does this tell us about God that he's giving commands? I'm going to phrase it this way. God is king. King. God is supreme king, not just king over a little area. He's king over the whole universe, king of kings and king of your life and mine. 
He has authority. I'll show you another place that's evident in this verse. Between the cherubim, the two cherubim. That phrase, the God between the two cherubim, is used frequently in the Bible, only it's added. It says, the God who's enthroned between the two cherubim. In a verse in Jeremiah, the Ark of the Covenant is called the throne of God. It's beautiful, it's gold, makes sense. It's not just a chair, it's not just a seat, it's a throne. And the ark reminds us that the one who sits on the throne is king of your life and mine. Do you like the whole submission to the leadership of God? <laughs> a lot of Christians really struggle with this part of it. They'll say, you know, I like calling to God for help. I don't even mind going and worshiping him at church. But when he starts to get his nose into my business, telling me what to do, eh, don't like that part. Well, I got some bad news for you. That part is not optional. It's not bad news, actually. When you understand the nature of God's leadership in your life, you'd invite it. But God says at the core of relating to me is the understanding that you're relating to the king. And you must bow and say, God, speak. This day, I will do what you want me to do. I will say what you want me to say. I will give what you want me to give. If you want to change the way that I'm relating to my spouse, just tell me. I'll do it. The way I'm relating to my kids, my coworkers, my parents, just do it. I, even if I disagree, I will obey because you are king. Wow. This is huge, but it's true of who God is. He is enthroned between the cherubim, king of kings. The second thing that I want to point out uh, in this text is this phrase, God says, I will meet with you. This great king, high and exalted, says, you know what the Ark of the Covenant is? It's a meeting place. Let's meet at the Ark of the Covenant. God says, I really want to hang out with you. I'd like to spend time with you. And you may say, I don't even like spending time with myself. I bore myself. Why does God want to meet with me? And I don't know, but he does. The Bible is so abundantly clear that God loves meeting with you. The Ark of the Covenant speaks of this desire. I'm going to call it his love. God is loving. God is loving and he longs to be with his people because he burns with affection for his people. The loving nature of God is seen in his desire to meet with us. It's also seen in the word covenant. Uh, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. The covenant Remember, if you were part of the series back in the winter where we did Apex, where the Israelites were at Mount Sinai, you may remember the covenant was like a wedding ceremony. It was romantic. It's where there were vows pledged of dying devotion and affection. The Lord proposed, I don't know if you recall, he said, I rescued you out of Egypt like I swept you away on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And out of all the world, you will be mine. You will be my segula, which is my most treasured possession. And God said, would you vow to be one with me? And, and the people did. They pledged their affection and God pledged his. And, and the Ark of the Covenant is a golden reminder of their vows. What does that sound like? 
You know, I wear a wedding ring. A wedding ring is a golden or precious metal reminder of a covenant that was made between you and your spouse if you're married. And similarly, the Ark of the Covenant's like a wedding ring, reminding us. What does it say? God says, look at it. It reminds you of the covenant. We got something going, God says. Remember you and I? I'm yours. You're mine. We're in love with each other, devoted to each other. The Ark of the Covenant tells us many things. One of them is that God loves us. Let's go uh, to the next, to a different verse we haven't looked at yet to see another characteristics of the ark and an attribute that results from it. It has to do with the poles. You notice the poles. Verse 13, God instructs, Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark in order to what? To carry it. The point of the poles is to carry the ark. Uh, these are handles that are made to move the ark. The ark, if it's a throne, it's a mobile throne. What is the point of its mobility? The point of the mobility of the ark is God says, wherever you go, I want to go with you. Isn't that cool? The Israelites moved around a lot in the early days. And God said, wherever you go, I go with you. And that's still God's heart today. It could be expressed with this word. God is always near us. No matter where we are, God is near us. God says, when you go to work, I'm there with you. And you're like, not in my work. He ain't there. No, he is. When you go to school, God is with you. When you go to the store, when you go to the theater, when you go to the bar, when you go to the church, it doesn't matter. God is always with you. And if you will recognize that, his company is pure joy. To talk to him, to sense his nearness, to enjoy his companionship. It's all joy. God says, I am the God who is near. The Ark of the Covenant is a reminder of God's desire to always be with us. It's mobile, goes with us wherever we go. Speaking of the poles, let me show you one more thing about this verse. It says, insert the poles into rings. And as you'll notice, the rings, you know, the poles aren't technically a part of, you know, God could have made handles that were connected to the ark, but he said, no, no, no. It needs to be a pole that's technically separate from the ark, slid through the ring. Why is that important? You say, that matters? It does. That enables the carrier of the ark to not touch it. One of the rules God gave regarding this box is you are not allowed to touch it. One of the stories we're going to study, it started to tilt, and a guy reached out and he touched it. Did not go well for him. And in, in another event we're going to read about, uh, a group of people opened it up and looked inside. Did not go well for them. That's, you know that from Indiana Jones. Remember when the Nazis, their faces melted, you know, when they looked inside? Yeah, there you go. Don't do that. And why is not touching the ark such a big deal? What does that tell us about God? Well, it tells us that he is holy. God said, you are to tremble with reverence regarding my holiness as demonstrated by the fact that you, a common sinner, can't even touch my holiness. We are different. And uh, 
Ryan, one of our tech guys, we were setting this up uh, yesterday, and he was drinking his Coke can, and he just was about to put it onto the ark, you know. He was fooling with me. He knew I was watching, and he stopped, and he was like, ah, gotcha. And I'm like, oh, oh, I'm not You don't treat it as common because he's holy. Maybe you don't like the holiness of God. Maybe that's an attribute you could do without, at least your first glimpse. If, if you feel that way, you don't understand the beauty of holiness. Maybe this would help us understand how God is holy. I was talking with a buddy of mine, and, and I said, how's your brother doing? I haven't seen my, his brother since high school. And he said, well, my brother continues to refuse to become a Christian because he said, all Christians are hypocrites. In other words, I'm going to reject God because God's people are hypocrites. Now, I agree with him. All God's people are hypocrites. I mean, that's the truth. We all have failure morally in us. We all fail to live out the ideal we're holding up and pursuing. You know, we've all got junk in us. We're hypocrites. But God's not a hypocrite. There's a fundamental difference between God and his people. There always has been. We will fail each other. You know, if you get to know me better and better, you know, you'll say, I like you, Jeff. You don't like that about you. I've got junk in me, as you do. You'd fail me, but God will never fail us. He's always said that. He said he's holy and we are not. That's why we shouldn't touch the ark. And the fact that God is the one being who won't let us down, who is beautiful through and through, the deeper you look into his soul, the more beauty you see without blemish, corruption, or anything ugly. The holiness of God. Thank the Lord. There is at least one in the universe who is holy, and that is him. And we tremble before his holiness. We, we worship him for his holiness. We respect him and honor him because of his holiness. Does that make sense? The holiness of God. One more thing about these poles. I want to turn to the next verse, verse 14. This is interesting. I didn't expect this. It says the poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They are not to be removed. At all times, leave the poles in there. That's surprising. I would expect that the ark would be brought into the Holy of Holies and you slip the poles out and they're for carrying. Why, and they slip in and out so easily. Why, why do you feel the need to leave them there all the time, God? What's the Lord trying to say through that? I believe that God is trying to say, always have the ark ready for action. I am a God who's on the move, and I want you, when you look at the ark, to be reminded that it's any, any moment now we could be on the move. It's almost like, you know, the, the old, don't pack your bags, keep your shoes on, be ready to go. And that's what our God is like. He is the God of action. He's, he's dynamic. And this is a, I'm going to just call it that. God is active. And this is a beautiful attribute of God. One of my buddies just celebrates this above all the others. He, my buddy, he's a little hyper, well, he's a lot, hyperactive, all right? He's an adventure seeker, a risk taker, and he always struggled in his Christianity because he saw God as the God of inactivity. You know, he grew up in church where the Sunday school teacher told him, little boy, sit still. 
you're in church, sit still. And so he thought God's the sit still God. God's the God of inactivity, and he just struggled, you know. Life was exciting and adventurous. Church was about stillness, and it bugged him. And then he'd preach it today. He'd say, then I discovered my understanding of God was wrong and that God is active and God is a God of excitement and adventure. And if we follow him, he will lead us out of our comfort zone into missions of great kingdom expanding significance. And my friend says, I love that God is not the God of inactivity, but he's dynamic. And he's right, he is. Folks, what do you think? Maybe you say, Pastor, I knew all of that already. You didn't teach me anything new about God. I knew all those stuff. Well, okay, fantastic. Let me ask you this. Are you living a life in response to this knowledge? It's one thing to know this. It's another thing to live in light of it. God is king. Do you live each and every day saying, Lord, just say the word and I will obey? I'm not going to argue with you. If I disagree, it doesn't matter. I will do what you tell me to do. Do you live in light of his love? Today, have you allowed God to love on you yet? He longs to remind you of your covenant love, to meet with you at the ark. Have you let him love on you? Do you bask in his love? or not. The nearness of God. God is saying, I will go with you wherever you go. Would you just remember that I'm there? Or do you forget to acknowledge his presence and enjoy his company? The holiness of God. When's the last time your knees knocked when you trembled before his holiness and just showed awe and respect? How do you use his name? Do you use the name of God with respect and honor. His activity. Do you recognize that God is the dynamic God? Are you looking for his activity in your life so that you can jump in on that adventure and follow him wherever he may lead? Folks, are you living it? I'm struggling to live it. I'll, I'll just acknowledge. I, I fail more than I succeed. The ark would be an, This ark would be an example of my failure. I was the co-builder of this prop. Uh, I worked with two friends who are better carpenters than myself, and they did more than I, so I don't want to take credit. But this week, uh, I I spent a lot of time putting the finishing touches on this arc, probably better part of two days. I was down in my basement working on this. And when I got all done with it, and and I stood back and looked at it, a, a really sad thought hit me. I started saying, the arc speaks of how God longs to meet with me. And I felt God say, Jeff, in all those hours you invested on building the ark, were you very knowledgeable or aware of my presence? Did you build the ark with me? (laughs) Not really, Lord. Did you build the ark for me? Was I the forefront of your thoughts? And it dawned on me that those two days could have been days with God at a level that I I missed, failed, (laughs) kind of an ironic thing. To build the ark and fail to live out the point of the ark is is only could I do that. But I would tell you that missed opportunities are there every moment of every day. In fact, you could miss one shortly here. We're about to close our service with a song. 
And you could just, oh, whatever, song, 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 and just kind of let it pass. Or you could enter into the reality of who God is found in this song. You could acknowledge in this song that you are before the King of Kings, enthroned between the cherubim. You can acknowledge the love of God. This song could be a moment where you bask in God's tender affection for you. This song could be an acknowledgement of his nearness, that God's in the house, that though invisible, he is here and listening to what you have to say. This song can be a moment where you are in awe of his holiness and give him reverence as he deserves. This is a song where you can acknowledge, my God is active in this place and in my life, and I need to be aware of his dynamic activity. Or you could miss out on all of that and just do a song, 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 and and let the service end. Every moment, every song, every day is an opportunity to live in light of who God is. Let's pray, and then let's sing to him. Lord, we bow before you right now. And I just want to thank you for instructing us to build the box. I love the Ark of the Covenant, God, and what it tells us about you. And God, we just all want to confess. There isn't a one of us that has a great understanding of who you are. There isn't a one of us that doesn't need desperately to raise our perception of you closer to that which is worthy of you. And so as Moses said, God, show us your glory. Open our eyes. Help us to sense your presence and appreciate your love and your holiness, your beauty. Please, God, this coming season, break in to our lives. Break in to our minds. Capture our attention. Let us become preoccupied and fascinated and intrigued with who you are. Help us to fall in love with you and live a life of love in response. Receive this song as a gift of worship from the bottom of our hearts. In Jesus' name.